The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. All right. Um, before Don comes up to share from the book of Jonah, I just wanted to share a testimony um, from our time in Poland. Uh, while Don was in Turkey on February 24th, he mentioned this on Monday, when we heard that Russia had invaded Ukraine, um, I was home in Michigan. We've lived in Michigan for the last 13 years, and we've been involved in missions, and Don has been traveling out. But I've been home a lot with my family, taking care of them. And um, when the war broke out, my heart was just broken. We had lived in Ukraine for eight years, and I kept hearing from people, watching Facebook, seeing people flee. And I thought, Lord, man, I want to be over there. I want to be there with, the, with my people. But I don't know, I don't really feel equipped to deal with trauma. I've never been prepared as a counselor or um, had psychology classes much, you know. I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I wanna be with the people. And today I was just thinking about that as uh, the worship team was singing, Jesus, you are enough. Jaira, you are enough. Is he really enough to prepare us to be in places that are hard. And he is, I'm here to testify that. And so um, I wanna just share with you, the Lord gave me the opportunity to go into Poland and um, I wondered where are all these refugees? And he opened a door for us to go into this center and that's just, I didn't put a lot of people in it because I feel like we were entering um, their sacred space. These people have left their homes, and all they have is a cot with whatever belongings they brought with them. And it was 3,000 people in this expo center. And I walked in and I thought, what do I do? I mean, I'm not prepared for this. But the Lord has given me a couple of verses over the years that have helped me when I just don't know if I'm prepared to do what he's asking me to do. And one is from 2 Peter um, chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So I might not know what to do, but guess what? His divine power has granted me what I need for life and godliness. And he has me here right now, so I'm going to be faithful in this right now. So we just started to pray. Who would you have us to talk to in this place? And looked around. You know, there's some people with cats on their leash there on, the, on their cots. There's dogs barking and others starting because they brought their precious animals with them. There's some that are sleeping. Others were, were sitting on the edge of their seat. And so we just prayed. And the first person I met, I started talking to her. I was also worried because, honestly, I, I know Russian, but I haven't been speaking it for about 13 years. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be talking to them. And a lot of them want Ukrainian, too. So I, was, I understood a little bit, but I thought, I don't even know if I'm equipped with this. But the Lord brought me to a woman, and she, she started sharing with me, and I just said, where are you from? And she says, I'm from Mariupol. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but at the time that I went, Mariupol was under siege by the Russians. There was no water supply for the people. We were hearing stories of people drinking out of puddles. 
and using their radiators that are water radiators and emptying them to get a drink. And the, the humanitarian corridors were closed for them to get out. And we were praying that people would get out because there was almost no way for them to get out. And I looked at her and I said, do you know that thousands of people are praying and you are an answer to that prayer? You escaped. And she started just crying and talking to me and sharing her story. And she said, I'm mostly concerned for my grandson. He's five years old and he saw horrible things. He saw death and he should have never seen that. And I'm so worried about him and he needs a psychologist. And do you know what? The Lord provided because I knew that day that a friend of ours who knows Russian, who's a psychologist, was flying into Poland and she was gonna be with me the next day. And she specializes in children and trauma. And so I said to this woman, I will bring someone tomorrow. And the next day we went and we found them and she took some Play-Doh, sat with that little boy and as he shaped the Play-Doh, he told her the whole story. And that's the first step for healing for a child, to share their story. And he opened up. And do you know what? We went the next day and they were gone. They had moved on. And I thought, look at how the Lord put me in that place at that moment for that woman. Provided the right person to come alongside her. I can't reach 3,000 people in this place. But the Lord put me there for one. Another verse that has been really powerful for me in this area that has been a prayer of my husband and I over the last few years is from Hebrews uh, 13, verse 20. And it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Our God equips us for what we need to do. So the next day, I met a little boy. Um, well, he's kind of a big boy. Let's see, there's some more pictures. Um, this is Danny. Uh, he was asking me if I had a cord for his phone to plug in. Um, and I got to talk to him. And we found out he and his mom and their baby, uh, his baby sister, who was about a year old, had just come four days before from Ukraine. And they were stuck. Can you imagine? Here she comes with her two children. All the husbands are left in Ukraine. And she has to figure out her way. And they just were saying, you know what? We found out there's this place for us in Germany. We have an address. We don't know how to get there. What do we do? And so Don and I just said, you know what? Let's pray that the Lord would open a way for you to get to this place. And so we prayed together. And then Don went to the administration and just asked. And here it was a very simple answer. Every day at 10 o'clock, there's a train that leaves for Berlin. Well, they don't know geography. They didn't know that Berlin was in Germany. So they heard that announcement, but they didn't know where they were going. And so we were able to get them registered, to get on the bus, to go to the next location. And they saw the Lord answer prayer right at that spot. And we just thank the Lord for the opportunities to meet um, so many who are hurting and that he equips us to do what we need to do. Um, 
We have the joy of working with the Ukrainian church in Poland. This church was planted um, during the last Russian invasion in 2014. Um, a lot of Ukrainians left for Poland. And they are doing an amazing job of reaching Ukrainians. This was a celebration of Ukrainian Independence Day. And they had crafts and things all set up. And we had hundreds of people coming to hear the truth of the gospel. We also, our organization was able to do camps this summer and provide funds for churches to do camps. And can you believe it? There were camps in every region of Ukraine except for one this summer. In the middle of war, and I talked to the director of children's ministry in Ukraine, and she said, we have kids flooding our churches right now that were never there before. God is on the move, and he can use you. He is preparing you here. He's preparing you and your heart. He lives in you. He is enough, and he will give you what you need to serve him wherever he calls you to go. God is enough. God can prepare, does prepare, does equip. These pictures, these stories that I shared with you on Monday, and uh, as Esther has continued today, and I'll continue right now, about what has been happening in Ukraine, um, war changes perspective. It really does. You begin to think about what's most important. As a believer, you put to the side a lot of those peripheral fluff things that you have in life and you begin to look at what God is doing in a new way and your dependence upon God is multiplied and enhanced many, many times over. War changes perspectives, helps you to see God and have priorities be understood in new ways. You know, I shared with you on Monday that the Ukrainian church before the war was the most vibrant and largest evangelical church in all of Europe. After the 70 years of communism, it became the epicenter of Christian growth, and the church is just passionate about taking the gospel to many places within Ukraine, church planting right inside Ukraine, sharing the gospel with neighbors next door, but also going out further to other places. That Ukrainian church, that vibrant church, uh, it's very interesting. If you think about what's happened in the war, Esther mentioned the first war, the first invasion. It took place in 2014 in Donbass in the east, Crimea that, that, that was annexed by Russia. You know, the evangelical, European Evangelical Alliance says that, said before the war that the most repressed or oppressed church, evangelical church in all of Europe was in eastern Ukraine and in Crimea. And remember what I just said a second before that, the most vibrant church in all of Europe, the largest evangelical church in all of Europe is in Ukraine. And yet portions that were taken away, that were occupied by Russians, became the most repressed, where churches were closed forcibly, where pastors were put in prison, where they lost their jobs, where they couldn't register, where they couldn't openly share the gospel of Christ. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we see that happening in this war. But again, war teaches us. It teaches us what is important, what are our priorities. And I love the fact that we can learn from the Ukrainian church. And I'm hoping that through our stories that you are learning also from what the Ukrainian church is doing today. 
You know, in Acts chapter 7, we see uh, Stephen preach a powerful message of salvation. And what happens at the end of that message? He's stoned, and he dies. In the beginning of chapter 8, we see the church, what happens? The church in Jerusalem, after that happens, is scattered. It goes out from Jerusalem, starting to head towards Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts all over the place. And you know what it says in verse 4? It says, as the church was scattered, they took the word and proclaimed the word everywhere that they went. And you know, we've seen millions of displaced, over 10 million some say up to 17 million either displaced internally or refugees outside the country, and many of them are believers in Christ, and they are taking the gospel to those places where they are going. You know, Pastor Andre is the pastor. I think we forgot a picture. That's from one of our children's ministries. Pastor Andre is the pastor of the church that we helped to plant in the city of Kiev. Pastor Andre has a man with a big heart for the gospel. He loves to share the gospel. He loves to care for people. That arm around that woman isn't just for a photo op. That kind of reflects who Pastor Andre is. Well, Pastor Andre and his, and his wife, they took care of some 45 or 50 refugees in the basement of Hope Church right in the city of Kiev for many, many days at the beginning of the war. And then a time came when Pastor Andre and his wife were evacuated. The situation got worse for a time, and they got evacuated. They ended up on a, in a caravan of about 150 refugees from Ukraine that traveled all the way to the country of Switzerland. They landed in one location, in this one big building that, that the government had provided and made available for refugees. So 150 Ukrainian refugees who have suffered violence, who have suffered these, these uh, traumas, who have, who have seen these atrocities, who have lost so much. And here's Andre. And there was a handful of other believers who were there amongst the 150, and they said, you know what, Andre? Uh, he was over 60, which is why he was allowed to go, by the way, if you remember what I said on Monday. But they said, Andre, could you pastor a church among us right here? And he said, sure. And so there was a small group that gathered, and over the course of just a few months, that group grew. That group grew where you had 22 of these people that are seen in this picture are brand new believers in Christ. Because of a war, a church has been established in Switzerland among Ukrainian refugees. And they're not just witnessing to Ukrainians. The building that they're meeting in right there is a Catholic church. Baptist Pastor Andre meets in that Baptist church on a Sunday afternoon, but he has been asked time and time and time again to come back to the church on Sunday morning during Mass and preach a message. He preaches in English, broken English. They translate it often into Swiss German. But here's an opportunity. God is at work. The church has been scattered, yes. But as they've gone, some, many, have taken the gospel of Christ with them. Praise the Lord for what God is doing Praise the Lord that he is on the move. And may we learn, may I continue to learn, may my wife, may we continue to learn what God wants to show us through the Ukrainian church, through this war, through this tragedy. I'd like us to open up the word of God to Jonah chapter four. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. Our gracious heavenly father, you can teach us so much 
through the different things that are happening in Ukraine through the church. Thank you for the faithfulness of brothers and sisters in Christ. And here we are in Philadelphia, many thousands of miles away. But, Father, we can learn from that example and that testimony. And we can learn that even as they go, uh, not able to do the things that you're calling them to do, you are equipping them as they go. Just as Esther shared, shared just a little bit ago, you equipped her, you equipped us to handle things, to do things, to say things that we weren't prepared to do. And Father, I know that you are preparing and equipping students here. Thank you that these students are in this place, this place of great learning with a solid biblical foundation. I pray that each one of them would just drink in deeply the word of God. And as they do, I pray that you would also break each of our hearts, each heart, so that our hearts would beat in sync with your heart. We know your heart beats for the nations. Father, may our hearts also beat for the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on Monday, we looked at Jonah 1, 2, and 3, and it was a whirlwind of a, of a glance. I hope that some of you at least took the opportunity to spend some time reading. In chapter 3, we see Jonah who, had, who decided to take that first step of faithfulness. He repented before God at the end of chapter 2, and then when the word of God came, he went and he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. He preached the message of truth to the people of Nineveh. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And we know what happened. A revival, a repentance, unlike any time in history, took place. The king made a decree, let everyone call urgently to God, verse 8, chapter 3. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. May they repent. May each of us repent before God. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10 is a beautiful place. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, turned, turning, they repented, they gave up their evil ways. He did what? He had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. I wish the book ended right there. I really do. Wouldn't it be great just to say there was a great revival, the greatest in all of history, and that's it? But it's not done there. Because there's some more lessons that God wants to teach us. There were some more lessons that God wanted to teach Jonah, and he's teaching us today as well. Jonah responds to God in a way that just on the surface reading doesn't make any sense whatsoever. After God had compassion on them, he says, chapter 4, verse 1, but Jonah was greatly displeased, not just a little bit. Jonah became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, you can almost feel this this anger seething from him. I knew that you were a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied to him, Have you any right to be angry? 
Think about what we're reading here. Jonah, who spent three days in the belly of a fish, who prayed out to God, is angry because of the revival of the people of Nineveh, of the repentance of the people of Nineveh. And not just angry, not just kind of like, oh, that stinks, but he's angry to the point of suicide. He would rather die than the people of Nineveh to be uh, saved, to be, uh, for the Lord's compassion to be poured out upon them. Why? Why is that? This guy is a preacher. He's a pastor. And he doesn't agree with God. Sometimes that happens in our lives, I know. We look around us, we see the evil that's happening, and, and we want something to happen to the evil. But to be honest with you, I, I often, when I look at this passage, when I look at this chapter, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament, I, I, at first, the first time I read it, I thought, this isn't me, this isn't a reflection of who I am, this isn't a reflection of my heart. I would never be that angry. But to be honest with you, as I began to unpack this passage, and I hope as you begin to unpack and understand what God is trying to teach us in this passage, you too will begin to see that this can be a reflection of our hearts as well. Let me ask you a question. Why, why do we think, why do you think that Jonah was so angry? Why was he so angry? Well, first of all, who were the people of Nineveh? They were horrible people. Vicious. History teaches us of the Assyrian Crusades. One commentator suggests that Jonah probably knew from Amos and Hosea that Assyria would be Israel's destroyer. So here's this prophet who goes and this country, this city, repents, and he knows that they are predicted to be the destroyer of his people. Archaeology has discovered, when they've dug up the city of Nineveh, which is Mosul today, they've, they've dug places in there and they've found uh, um, drawings in rock of the kinds of horrors that the people of Nineveh did to those who didn't submit to their will. There are things that I don't even want to talk about here today. Jonah probably knew that. And knowing that this is a people who is, is, is uh, predicted or there's prophecy saying that they are the ones who are going to destroy my people, he then looks and goes, they're horrible people, they've done horrible things, and they're going to come and they're going to kill my people. He might even be thinking, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill my wife if Jonah was married, they're going to kill his family, maybe rape, violence, anything else. It's all possible. So he's filled with anger. He's filled with hate for the people of Nineveh, and that is one of the main reasons why he doesn't want them to have this compassion poured out upon them. On February 24th, the bombs started to fall at 5 o'clock in the morning. And one of the very first targets, if not the first target, of the Russian army was a military airbase just outside the city of Erpin, which is in the northern suburbs of Kiev. Pastor Alex and his wife, a pastor who has served faithfully in Ukraine since the 80s, has a beautiful family. Looks like a picture maybe from, from one of our Christmases at, at one of our houses, yeah. Six of his own children, multiple grandkids. Obviously, he has, has uh, uh, um, sons-in-laws and daughters-in-law, all living in one house that God had miraculously provided in the city of Erpin at 5 o'clock in the morning. They can hear the rush 
of the missiles flying by their house. Before they exploded, they heard the missiles. And it shook the whole house. And everyone in the house got up, got up from their seats, uh, got up from their beds at 5 o'clock in the morning, came into mom and dad's room, adults as well, and they said, what's going on? And they began to pray together on their knees. And dad said, we have to leave after they got up from their prayers. We're going to leave in the next hour. And you know, Pastor Alex, as I mentioned, he has, he's a faithful minister of the gospel. He's actually one of the, the, the most um, skilled, gifted musicians in all of Ukraine. And he has directed choirs. He's actually the one directing this choir and orchestra. He's trained up many in, in ministry all over Ukraine. And that's who he is. And this is, this is his family, another picture, kind of a, a fun picture that was taken, taken in front of their fireplace. And when Pastor Alex and his family got in a car a few hours later, it was as if the Spirit of God said to them, don't look back. Don't look back. Just like Lot, don't look back. And this is what became of their house. That's the fireplace you saw in the last picture. They lost everything that they had on this earth. And you know, they could be filled with lots of anger, and they are angry at what the Russians did. Russians actually occupied their house. They lived in their house for a period of time when they were in the city of Irpin. And Irina, Pastor Alex's wife, when we talked to her about her heart towards the Russian people, a lot of Ukrainians and a lot of believers, don't get me wrong, are angry at what happened, and they are bitter, but not Pastor Alex and his wife Irina. Irina prays for the Russian troops that were in her home. They had Bibles all over the house. They did small group Bible studies. They had different kinds of Christian literature. She says, I pray that before our house was destroyed, that some of those Russians laying there at night had picked up some of those pieces of literature, put them in their pocket, and, and, that, and, that, and that they would make an impact and those Russians would give their lives to Jesus. We can learn a lot from Ukrainians, can't we? You know, there's some other reasons, other reasons that maybe Jonah was angry, why, why he was angry about uh, uh, God's compassion on the people. He had preached a sermon in chapter, uh, chapter 3. He said, 40 more days and this city will be destroyed. He's a prophet. He preached a message. And at the end of that message, something is supposed to happen concretely. Well, it didn't come true. God relented. And so now he has a reputation problem before his own people. Deuteronomy talks about if a prophet preaches or, pre or predicts something that doesn't come true, especially if he leads his people astray, he should be stoned, he should be killed. And here he is, a man of great repute, and, and he was someone who was faithful in ministry back at home, and now this, reputation. When we think about sharing the gospel, sharing the love of Christ, expressing the gospel of Christ, are there times when we are afraid of what someone might think of what we say? Are we afraid that we might be labeled as haters because we're speaking of the love of Jesus? Are there times when we're concerned about our own reputation, about what someone might think? Galatians 1.10 says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Reputation. I think there's one more thing. There's actually a few, but one more thing that I'd like to focus our attention on. And that comes out of the next verses from this passage. 
Starting in verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at the dawn the next day, God provided. We saw that he provided the vine, right? God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Very similar to the words we see up above just a few verses earlier. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. Suicide because of a vine. What's going on here? I remember reading this passage many times a few years ago and wondering, what's really going on here? Well, let me explain to you. So Jonah comes out of the fish, preaches, preaches to the city of Nineveh, and then he goes out and he's, he's waiting and watching, hoping that the 40 days uh, there will be a destruction of the city. And, and it's a hot place. It's hot, air, hot uh, wind and sun. And so he builds this little shack for himself just with the tools he might be able to gather and some sticks and other things. And it's not doing a great job. And God comes along and he provides a vine. And I think about trips that I've had to Latin America or the Philippines where you have massive, massive uh, plants with these huge leaves. And I can see Jonah down inside this, this, uh, this little shack, but it's grown and it's been completely covered. And he's sitting there with his lemonade in his hand and he's got his air condition going. And he's content and happy as a lark. And then God provides a worm. This worm chews the vine and it dies and withers. And he is angry to the point of death once again. What are we learning about the heart of Jonah here? As God pulls away each piece, he provided. He provided everything so that Jonah would come to this place like peeling back pieces of an onion. He was pulling back the different parts, the different problems, the different issues with Jonah's heart to reveal what was really down on the inside. He's more concerned about his own comforts. He's more concerned about uh, uh, his, his security, his safety. He's more concerned about what makes him happy. He doesn't have compassion for the people of Nineveh, but he has compassion for himself. And now that his comfort is gone, he's angry to the point of death. He doesn't want to give up what he has. Pastor Alex, when he, <clears throat> when he and his wife, and they got up that morning and they prayed um, together, Pastor Alex said, I want you to go to your rooms and I want you to fill up not more than two backpacks. Not more than two backpacks. We're going to get in the car and we're going to go out of here. Some of his kids, as a musician himself, some of his kids are musicians. Violin, two, two violin players, cello and so forth. They had to leave their instruments behind. War makes us think about what's really important. Pastor Alex and his family, they had to choose what was most important for them. What would you put in your backpack if you got that request right now that in, five, that in an hour you have to leave? What would be the things that you would take makes me think about what is really important. What is the most important thing that 
makes me happy, makes me comfortable, and so forth. You know, Pastor Alex's daughter went back to the city of Erpine, and she went into the house that burned, as you saw the picture earlier, and she saw this plant growing in the house. She imagines that the heat in that particular spot must have been just blazing. And yet, there was this little shoot, this tiny little shoot coming up through the rubble. You can see it there. I don't even need to explain it, really. They left behind everything. Their home is destroyed, never to be re regained again. No insurance. And that's true throughout most of Ukraine. No insurance. This, there isn't a rebuilding uh, probability in most of these cases. They left behind everything. They left behind their comforts. They left behind their home. And it was destroyed after they left. And yet there is hope. And there's hope for us, too. You know, the end of this chapter, chapter 4, is... A wonderful, wonderful verse. God asks Jonah, You've been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left hand, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He leaves Jonah with a question. Uh, maybe you've learned this already, but the book of Jonah is the only book in the Old Testament, the only book in the Bible that ends with a question mark. You see a question mark, you want to turn the page. Go ahead, turn the page to Jonah chapter 5. You're not going to find it. It's not there. But Jonah wrote the book. My hope, and even an assumption in a little sense, is that Jonah's chapter 5 was one of faithfulness, was one where all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, he, he changed his heart, he changed his mind, and his heart began to beat in sync with God's heart once again. Now, as we close this morning, I want to ask you a simple question. What is your chapter 5? God's heart beats for the nations, just like he expresses to Jonah in, in verse 10. I'm concerned about this great city. Are we concerned about the unreached peoples, one-third of this planet unreached with no access to the gospel of Christ? People groups around the corner, we heard about three million up in New York City who don't know the gospel. Do our hearts beat in sync with God's heart? What is our chapter five going to look like? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this truth. And Father, I pray that once again that you would use it to impact my heart, to remind me of those things that I hold on to, the anger or the material things of this world or safety, security, or worrying about my reputation and what others might think of me. Help me to, to think about those things for myself, and I pray that each one here would do the same. And Father, I pray that you would give us a heart that beats in sync with your heart today. May our chapter 5 be one of faithfulness, obedience, following with all abandon after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.